0: Christ at the well in Samaria with the the Samaritan woman where he was the living water, the water of life. Chapter 6, feeding of the 5,000, the bread of life. Chapter 9, where Christ brought sight to the blind person. Just before that, he said, I am... The light of the world. In chapter 11, Jesus Christ proclaims that I am the resurrection and the life. Just before he raises Lazarus from the dead. We see this dramatic witness of, of Lazarus never saying a word. Never saying a word. Yet, such a powerful witness of the power of God. The love of of God, the deity of Jesus Christ. In this passage, and it covers a whole chapter, we can't look at all of it in detail, but we see so much. We see that everything that Jesus Christ does, even as he delays in going to Lazarus, he does it out of love. And as always, Jesus Christ has a twofold purpose, it seems, in all that he does. One, is to bring glory to God, to Father, and to himself. And two, to encourage believers to mature. And third, we see in such a a powerful way, we see Jesus Christ is able to identify with the human experience. He's able to know what we feel As we go through pain and suffering and hurt or joy. And fourth, we see that Jesus Christ rules over life and death. And finally, because he rules over life and death, because he's able to raise Lazarus from the dead, you and I can be confident that one day, on that resurrection day, that he is able... To raise you from the dead, powerful passage before we look at chapter eleven, we want to be able to connect with chapter Ten what was going on there? If you read chapter Ten, you know that that Jesus was in one of his confrontations with the Pharisees. they come to him and said, Well, tell us are you the are you the Messiah are you the Christ? And he goes on and says. I've told you, but you're not, you're not listening. And he talks about giving eternal life to those that he calls. And he goes on, he says, the Father and I are one. And the Jews got so angry, they took up stones and he started throwing them. Then they tried to arrest him, but Christ, of course, because it wasn't his time, escaped. Christ left after that. he went probably about 20 miles across the Jordan. He hadn't been there long when he received word from Mary and Martha saying that the one you love, their brother Lazarus, was very sick. Christ, if you remember, often stayed with Mary and Martha and Lazarus as he did ministry. He loved them. And if you remember, Mary is the one that used expensive ornament to anoint Christ, wiped his feet with her hair. So they were very, very close. It's so very clear as you look at the Gospel of John in chapter 11 that that John, as he wrote the Gospel, wanted us to know that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Verse 3, is they sent the message, they didn't say, Lord, come quickly. Lazarus is sick. They said, Lord, the one you love is very sick. The one you love is very sick. In verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Later on, At the tomb, verse 33, Jesus sees Mary weeping. And it says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And in verse 35 it says that he wept. Later on, we see the response of those who were watching Jesus as they interacted with with Mary and with Martha. And, And the response of the Jews watching was, see how he loved him? See how he loved him. John stresses Christ's love for his family, for his family, because he knows what Jesus Christ is about to do. And what Christ was about to do didn't look like love. It didn't feel like love. Verse 5 and 6, we read, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so... When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Think about it. Think about it. Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He found out that Lazarus was very sick. Instead of getting in his car or on his camel and rushing like we do, He stayed two more days. That doesn't seem like love. You see, Christ knew what was about to take place. He knew the certainty of Lazarus' death. Sure enough, Lazarus died. Christ wasn't there. Mary and Martha had to see their Dearly loved brother, die. They had to bury him. And I've got to think that they're anything like you and me. I'm sure they were thinking, Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? We sent word for him. He, He should have rushed here. He's not even here for the funeral, for the burial. I thought he loved us. I thought he cared. I thought Lazarus was special to him. You know, sometimes in the midst of life, when we go through hardship, when we go through struggles, when we face tragedy and disappointment, we too wonder, where is Jesus? Where is God? If he loved me, He would come rescue me. We need to remember that just because Jesus doesn't answer the prayers the way we want, it doesn't mean he doesn't care. It doesn't mean he doesn't love us. You see, our first point is, it was love that motivated Jesus Christ to let Lazarus die. It was love for that family. It was love for all the Jewish people that watched. It was love for all of us who read this story later on. It was love that let him die. He did it out of love. And you may ask, how is this love? John sets it up so well, I think. He, he just talks about that love over and over. And then Lazarus dies. Why is this love, you might ask. Glad you asked. It brings up the second point. The purpose of the delay, the reason Christ waited, he purposely wanted Lazarus to die because two things, twofold. One, to bring glory to God. And two, to strengthen the faith of the believers there. Jesus had performed many miracles before. He had turned the water into wine. He had healed uh, the blind man. He had healed many sick people. He had fed the 5,000, given sight to the blind. Christ had even previously, we know of, brought back from the dead two people. In Luke 7, he had raised the widow's daughter. In Mark 5, he had raised Jairus's daughter, but these two had died quickly. Had died, and then Christ quickly raised them up. And we and we'll see that with Lazarus, he died. He was buried for four days in his decomposition. Well, Christ, as he talked with Martha says to her this illness does not lead to death it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it do you and do I in our daily lives do we think about the fact do we want God to be glorified through our lives through our words through our actions Johnny Erickson taught her which I think most of us know wrote, um, and she's a paraplegic who suffered much, Um, she expresses her desire to bring glory to God in a genuine way. And she says, I do not care if I am confined to this wheelchair, provided from it I can bring glory to God. I don't know about you, that's hard to say. That's very hard to say. God wants us in our lives to be willing to allow him to work in such a way that he receives glory. Again, twofold reason for delaying, for allowing him, Lazarus, to die. Second reason is that disciples may believe. Verse 15 says, for your sake, this is Christ talking, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Jesus wanted his disciples to see his power. He wanted his disciples to grow in their faith. You know, I think we all want to be mature believers. But the truth is, most of the time we don't grow in our faith when life is easy. It's in those tough hard times, it's when tragedy strikes, it's when disappointment comes, it's when we're heartbroken that God grabs our attention. And it's then, in those darkest hours, that our Lord wants to strengthen us to glorify Himself through it. Again, those difficult times are the times that we, that you and I, need to exercise our faith and trust that God, even though it doesn't seem like love, that God loves us, that He cares, and that He has the power to work in our lives in the midst of it. John Stott, in his commentary, writes, the pain and anguish of the family of Mary and and Martha are still less worth than the nourishing of the faith for both the family and for those attending disciples. John Stott here is saying that Christ saw it better. is more important for Martha and for Mary and for you and for me that we suffer, go through the pain and anguish of hard times in order that we might grow. Because to be mature in Christ is more important. Hudson Taylor, well-known missionary, says, Trials afford God a platform for His working in our lives. Trials provide a platform for His working in our lives. And without them, I would never know how kind and how powerful and how generous He is. Think about that. That is such a powerful statement. I would never know how kind and how powerful and how generous he is, except for trials. And we know it, we know it in our hearts, but I don't think there's one of us who loves trials that come our way. You and I may not be where Hudson Taylor was when he wrote that, when he said that, But we can begin to ask God to work in our lives in such a way that we take small steps even. Saying to the Lord, Lord, I give you my suffering. I give you this situation. Father, help me to grow and mature and to be the man or the woman or the teen, Lord, that you want me to be. In verses 17 through 37, we see that Christ identifies with our human experiences, our joys. Now pain, now struggles. Verses 17, 17 through 21 we read, When Jesus came, He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We see the personalities of Martha and, and Mary again. We see Martha, who's always so busy, rushing out to meet Christ. Mary, who's that contemplative one who sat at Christ's feet, she stayed behind. Our personalities don't change in the midst of, 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 of tragedy and struggles. Well, Martha's comment about her brother dying and Christ not being there, it it seems maybe like Martha was kind of rebuking Christ for being late. You know, Christ, you should come sooner. And Christ responds to her and says that Lazarus will rise again. And, And Martha replies, sure, Lord. In the resurrection day at the end, And that's when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. He asked Martha the question, do you believe this? Do you believe? Martha's response was a great statement of her faith. She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Who is coming into the world? Later on, when Mary does come, it's interesting. Her first statement to Christ is the very same thing that her sister said Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. In verse 33, when Jesus sees Mary weeping, he's deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. In verse 35 says that Jesus wept. But Christ's first response was automatic. A groan from within. A groan. He was moved to indignation. D.A. Carson writes, he translates this passage, he says that Christ was outraged. Christ was outraged. Kind of reminds me of the temple when he removed all the money changers. You see, the wrath of God. But you may say, well, what was he indignant at? Or whom was he indignant? Was he upset with Mary and Martha? Because of their lack of faith? No, I don't think so. I think that when Christ saw these people that he loved so much suffering, he was so aware of sin and death and how sin destroys lives and death separates. And therefore, he was indignant. The Jews watching there seemed to join in this subtle questioning of of Jesus' love after they see Jesus weep. And some of the Jews said, see how he loved him? But yet, there were some of them who said, could not he who opened the eyes of this blind man? Could he not have kept him alive? They began asking some foolish questions. And sometimes you and I, if we're not careful, can ask foolish questions or we can make some foolish statements. They were wondering about Christ's helplessness before Lazarus' death. And they probably said, could he not have somehow prevented this? Is this a limit of Jesus' power? Some trials he can deal with. Some sicknesses he can cure. Some human tragedies he can take care of. But I guess he can't handle this one. But they were far from right. They were far from right. Because Christ then proceeds to raise Lazarus from the dead. Again, when tragedy comes our way, we need to wait. You know, arrogance sometimes... We think we know best, and yet we have no idea what God is doing, where he's taking us, what he wants to work in our lives. It's interesting as they talk and interact, neither Mary nor Martha nor any of the Jews even had an idea, I guess, of the fact that Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead. We're also familiar with this passage that Jesus, well, verse 35. We know it. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. It's known for that. But not only is it the shortest verse, it's maybe, I won't say it's the deepest verse. It's a deep verse. It's a deep verse. Think about it. Jesus Christ, Son of God, fully man, fully God. Weeping. I think it shows his humanity. Because, see, he knew what he was going to do. He was just before raising Lazarus. And yet, he broke down and wept. His weeping wasn't like all the Jews. The Jews had this loud wailing. But Christ wept quietly. And it's powerful when you sit and you think about this verse. Jesus wept. He wept knowing that he was going to raise Lazarus. And for you and for me, it speaks so much of his humanity. His ability to experience what we go through in life. Isaiah 53 says that he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He's our merciful and faithful high priest that you and I can go to and find grace in the midst of hardship. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Christ knows what you feel this morning. He knows if you're struggling. He knows if you're being tempted. He knows if you've been disappointed. He knows if you're filled with joy and you're excited about the next step in life. He knows. He cares. He understands. I can't help Alba, but think about the Ramon family this past week and just how, in the midst of death, Christ is there. He strengthens us. He gives us all the grace that we need. You know, in funerals, I I like to mention the fact that we face death differently. First of all, death is inevitable. We're going to face it. We try to take care of ourselves, right? We try to eat the right food. Some of us work out in gyms. Others of us like to jog. But we try to take care of our bodies. And that's good. That's good. But you see, the truth is, we're going to die. And we all face death and respond to death differently. Some people use humor. We've all heard it. Others deny its reality. Then there's that culture that loves to romanticize death and see it as beautiful. And there are others who try to distance themselves from it. You know, but in spite of all that we attempt to do, we cannot cover the horror and the pain that we feel in the midst of loved ones. I still remember the first death of someone that I was close to. Greg Williams was a classmate from first grade through, I think, fourth grade. Greg had epilepsy. And back then, they didn't have the medication that we have these days. Greg literally had sores on his head because in the midst of seizures, he would fall and hit his head on, on sharp objects. And finally, my teacher called me aside one day and said, Ralph, Will you do me a favor? Can I, sit you, can I put you behind Greg? And will you eat with him in the lunchroom? And, and when, he, when he has a seizure, will you, will you catch him so he won't fall? And I said, sure. Sure. One day we went to lunch. We came back. Greg had a seizure as he fell. I grabbed him he fell over on the floor. I remember the trauma that I went through as a little fourth grader the 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 bad dreams the uh I wanted to wake up every day, and this went on for months. I wanted to wake up and see. Greg, alive. I want to see him alive. But Greg was dead. Later, my grandfather died. My grandmother, another grandmother. Then my brother Steve died of a massive aneurysm on the brain before he was 40 years old. And my sister died a tragic death before she was 43. And my dad suffered with cancer for a few months before he died. my mom and then Chris's father. And you know, in each situation was different. And yet in each situation, God knew my need. He was there. He gave me strength to carry on. And I'm no different than you. We've all, for the most part, faced death of loved ones. each situation there's grace he is able to identify with you and with me because Jesus Christ is fully God fully man because Christ is fully God he rules over life and death and we see this in verses 38 through 44 when Jesus Christ raised Lazarus from the dead 38 and 39 verses say, when Christ arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone in front of it, Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha said to him, Lord, by this time there's an odor. L- let me translate that. Lord, it stinks. He's been dead four days. He's been buried four days. Most of you know that I worked at Inner City Impact for about eight years in, in the, the 80s. And we used to have overnighters. And I'd have probably 60 or so uh, rambunctious 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. And we would have movies, and we would play games, and we would eat, and we didn't sleep. But I'll never forget the first one I had. The guy's began taking off their shoes. It was bad. I, I literally thought I was going to throw up. I couldn't leave. I was, I was the one in charge. And there's nothing that I can think of that compared to being one of those junior hires that night that I'm thinking of, except for some of you will be able to identify the pals. They were 4th, 5th, and 6th graders. And I used to go and observe pals club, and I'd go into the gym when they were playing games. And it's like you open the door to go into the gym, and the stench was unbelievable. But just think. If we smell that bad when we're alive, how do you think Lazarus' body smelled? And I think maybe Martha knew that. And she was thinking, Lord, this, this isn't too good. Jesus had made sure that Lazarus was good and dead. That body was beginning the process of decomposing, and it could have smelled bad. But verses 41 and 42 says, They took away the stone, and Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Before we move on, let's just focus a minute here on Jesus and his prayer. He was about to perform a miracle. And he goes to his father in prayer. His focus. His father in heaven. Think about it, Christ throughout the Gospels, he was always raising up his heavenly Father, always talking about his Father. We see his confidence. He says, "You always hear me. You always hear me." In his style, sure he prayed alone early in the morning and throughout the day, but in this point, he prayed so. His disciples would hear him. The fruit of this prayer was much, but faith. As we see God answer prayers, our faith is strengthened. Well, verse 44 says that the man who had died came out. It's, It's interesting that it didn't say Lazarus came out, but the man The man who had died came out. I think that John wants to reinforce that idea. He was dead. He was dead. His hands and feet, feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. And I think we can read this passage and not think about this in a spiritual way also. You see, before Christ, without Christ, we're dead. Lazarus in that tomb is a good picture of you and me before we put our faith and trust in Christ. We're dead. Dead in our trespasses and sin. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves alive. Nothing. But when Jesus Christ calls our name, we listen and we hear will become alive. And also, as I see the clause, and Christ says, unbind him. As non-believers, sin binds us up. It binds us. And Christ sets us free. Well, as with previous miracles, the people were divided about this miracle, this raising of Of Lazarus from the dead. We'll we'll read chapter 12 uh, in in the Gospel of John. We'd see that many people came to Christ as a result of this. But, yes, again, that other group, those those others, says that they immediately went to the Jewish leaders and reported what had happened. I find it very interesting. You have these two groups of people. They see the same miracle. They see Jesus Christ raised Lazarus from the dead. And some believe. Some believe. And others rush as informers to the Pharisees. It's interesting. Because that's where life is, isn't it? Some believe and some rush away. The Jewish leaders, verse 48, say they met together and they said, if we allow allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe him. And then the army, Roman army, will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. If you remember, the Sanhedrin were this group of, I think, 70 men who were the leaders of the nation. They were kind of like the, the, the ruling court. They're made up of Sadducees. The Sanhedrin were made up of Sadducees and the Pharisees. But as they met, I want you to know, they weren't seeking the truth. Rather, they were looking at ways to take care of their, their own interest. If you notice, it says that they were concerned about our temple and our nation. Clearly, their strategy of confronting Jesus, of challenging his teaching, of trying to discredit him before the people, wasn't working very well. They were getting nowhere. The miracles continued, and the followers of Christ began to grow, and Jesus had support. Among the masses of people, the Jews knew that a popular uprising against the Roman government could take away their positions if the Romans came in and took control. They knew they'd lose everything. Well, the Sanhedrin met and made a decision... But in the midst of it, the high priest Caiaphas, who was a Sadducee, not not a a Pharisee. Remember, these guys hated each other. They were always at each other. They were enemies. And yet, they come together against a mutual enemy because they wanted Jesus out of the way. But unknowingly, um, Caiaphas utters a divine prophecy. He says, don't you realize it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. And basically what he said was, let's get rid of Jesus. We kill one man, we'll save a nation. Of course, verse 51 says that he didn't say this on his own. It was a prophecy in which he was led by the Lord to give, that Christ would not die just for the nation of Israel, but for all the world. But the official decision of the, the Sanhedrin was Christ must die. Christ must die. Matthew twelve fourteen says the Pharisees conspired how to destroy Christ. Luke nineteen forty seven says that the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the leaders were trying to kill him. You see, John 11 so well reveals Christ's deity, but also shows the utter depravity of man. And we see the evil of man in this discussion and the decision to kill Jesus, an innocent man, in order that the Sadducees and the Pharisees might keep their affluence and their power, their positions, Again, Jesus, though, in the midst of his interaction with Martha and Mary says, I am the resurrection and the life, and anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. And everyone who lives in me, believes in me, will never, ever die. And again, he asked Martha that question, do you believe? And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. This is a culmination of all the previous chapters, looking at Jesus Christ, revealing who Jesus is. He revealed himself in different ways before. Materially, we see that he's the giver of life as he turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana. And spiritually, that he offered life which springs up, that living water as he talked with a woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. Physically, we didn't look at these, but physically he gives life to a dying boy. He healed him from a distance in chapter 4. In verse, chapter 5, he healed a paralytic at the pool in Bethesda. He gives sight again to a blind man in chapter 9. In verse 6, he fed the 5,000 saying, I'm the bread of life. And then we have this silent witness of Lazarus, never saying a word and yet showing how strongly that he is God. Each of us must make a decision, just as the Jewish leaders did and all Jewish people did then. We either choose to believe or to reject the truth that we see. How many times have you and I thought, if I were there, if I were there when Jesus performed those miracles, I'd believe. I'd believe. But the truth is, as we see the multitudes were divided. Half believed, half didn't. Half went after him. They went after him. They weren't just not going to accept Christ. They wanted to kill him. And we see the same thing today. There are those who reject Christ, but there are others today. If you look around in the media, and you see, they want to kill Christ. But we have a choice, just as they did. We're no different. If we're not careful, you know, we have our habits, we have our culture, we have our customs. We must choose first to trust Christ as our Savior, but beyond that, daily we must choose to live for Christ. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? Are you and I trusting Christ in the midst of our struggles and trials? We read here about Martha and Mary and the tragedy that they went through. But they're no different than you and me. We struggle in life. And Mary and Martha had a chance, an opportunity to trust God, the loss of a loved one. And you and I have opportunities to trust God in the midst of life. Are you trusting God? Am I trusting God with our jobs, with school, with sickness, with our kids, or with our parents? With our disappointments, with our broken hearts. Are you and I allowing God to use us to bring others to Christ? Think about that scene where Christ raised Lazarus. Of course, Christ could have done it all, but he gave instructions, he said, Remove the stone. Then when Lazarus walked out with everything on, he had them remove all the linen strips. We can't bring anyone to Christ. We can't bring the dead spiritually to Christ. But we need to be sharing the gospel. We need to be living a life that reflects Christ. We need to be discipling those who come to Christ. Again, each of us face death. Please ask, he says, there's a time to be born and a time to die. Our staff have talked about, in the last five months, I don't remember the exact number, 10 or 12 people have died. They're connected with the good news in the last five months. Brothers, parents, uncles. I can tell you that that's not the norm. I look back over the years, my years at Good News, very seldom do we have funerals. And now we've had 10 or 12. We're not promised tomorrow. We need to decide first. Accept Christ, reject Him. But if we're believers, we need to decide to walk in such a way that we bring glory to God, that we live, though imperfectly we live for the Lord. And when we when we choose, we need to know that maybe choosing Christ means giving up our positions of of power, our prestige. And when we come to Christ, it doesn't just mean that we pray a prayer without thinking what we're doing. It means repenting of our sins. It means renunciation. It means forsaking everything that's kept us from the Lord. As believers, we need to be faithful, again, to live for Christ, to share the gospel, to live in such a way that others are drawn to us and to Christ. Well, ultimately, Jesus Christ will raise all believers. 1 Thessalonians four sixteen and 17 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves, and then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we'll be with the Lord forever. Why is it important that we believe Jesus' ability to raise Lazarus from the dead? Again, because if he raised Lazarus from the dead, dead, we can be confident that he can raise us from the dead. An unbeliever, Lord Bertrand Russell, says there is darkness without. And when I die anywhere then nothing. But Kohlberg, Lutheran theologian in the 19th century, said, When I die and someone finds my skull, let this skull still preach to him and say, I have no eyes. Nevertheless, I see him. And though I have no lips, I kiss him. And I have no tongue, and yet I will sing praise to him with all who call upon his name. I am a hard skull, yet I am wholly softened and melted by his love. And I lay here exposed on God's acre, and yet there in paradise. Powerful. Well, the gospel and our faith hinge on the fact that Christ raised Lazarus from the dead. We can be confident that he can raise us. And this silent witness, again, Lazarus never said a word, but powerful witness of Christ's love and his power, his deity. And we can be confident that whatever we go through, that Christ loves us. He identifies with us. He is able to experience what we go through. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, Lord, we've looked at a passage today that probably most of us know so very well. Father, bring it to our mind over and over during this week. Father, we thank you that you are a powerful God. Lord, that you're able to to do all that you did, all those miracles. Father, we thank you that as we come to you and put our faith and trust in Christ, Lord, that you're able to change us, that you are powerful enough to change us, to make us, godly, make us into godly people with godly desires. Oh, Father, come work in our lives, work in our hearts, Father, that we might become more like Christ. Again, turn our hearts to you, we pray.